We've just published the book, The Adventures of Lola Badiola. It's the perfect complement for this podcast. It includes complete transcripts, explanations, and quizzes. So buy it now on Amazon. Hello and welcome back to The Adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, Lola and her team stood at the entrance of the headquarters of Texpania, about to execute their plan. Let's find out if they managed to get past the security guards and up to the 51st floor, where J.J. Thompson and Mario Ruiz de Velasco are finalizing the purchase agreement. Here we go. The Adventures of Lola Badiola Chapter 54 The Entrance Lola led her team through the revolving doors of the headquarters of Texpania. They entered a corporate atrium with soaring ceilings, granite columns and infinite light. Like the cathedrals of medieval Spain, it was designed to both inspire and intimidate the visiting pilgrims. As the four interlopers walked quickly to the reception desk, their heels clicking randomly on the marble floor, it was not only Park who was affected by the transcendental nature of the architecture. It had been just over three months since Lola had been escorted out of the building following her resignation. In that time, nothing seemed to have changed. The same receptionists were at the desk, the same security guards were at the door, not even the crystal vase full of flowers on the reception desk was any different. Everywhere, employees continued their seemingly critical yet ultimately trivial discussions, oblivious to the world around them. Lola looked at the team of receptionists. She knew them well. Some could be stubborn, others could be flexible. Amongst them, she spotted José, her favourite, the man who had always had time for a quick chat about everyday life. She headed straight towards him, followed closely by the gang of three. "'José, it's been too long!' He looked up as she arrived, his face revealing surprise and then happiness. Miss Badiola, how are you? Fine. How are Nico, Matilda and the dogs? Couldn't be better. I'm here with the team from J-Block. We're joining the meeting on the 51st floor. José looked confused. It's a matter of urgency. The receptionist checked his systems, and when he was unable to find any information about their visit... He politely asked the team to take a seat while he called the reception on the 51st floor. "'It was a last-minute change in the agenda,' said Lola, with a hint of panic in her voice. "'Perhaps you could just let us through?' José's face betrayed the slightest suggestion of suspicion. He was experienced enough to sense when someone was trying to trick him. He picked up his phone and waited for the top-floor reception to answer. Lola looked back at her companions, who were standing stiffly in a huddle behind her. Over their shoulders, she noticed a group of grey-haired and smartly-dressed business people gathering in the waiting area. They greeted each other with warm smiles and firm handshakes. One of them cracked a joke, and they all laughed loudly. They behaved as if they owned the place, and indeed, they did. For this was the board of directors of Texpania. They were there to ratify the acquisition of J. Block as soon as the final agreement had been reached. Lola felt a sudden rush of adrenaline. There was no time to lose. She leaned across the reception desk and gently pushed the crystal vase full of flowers over the edge. 
It bounced on the table in front of José, splashing water all over his equipment before hitting the marble floor and splintering into a thousand jagged pieces. The other receptionists, already stressed due to the presence of the board of directors, were startled by the noise and commotion. They immediately looked for someone to blame, someone who would have to deal with the mess. That person was José. While the attention of the room was distracted by the unfortunate accident, the four interlopers made their way quickly and quietly to the turnstile barriers. Diego was the first to hop over, then he helped both Park and Lola. But when he reached out his hand to Gonzalo, the lawyer wouldn't move. This is unlawful entry. He started to slowly back away from the turnstiles. Gonzalo? hissed Diego. You're already committed. It's too late to turn back. Actually, from a legal perspective, it's not. For Christ's sake, it doesn't matter what the law says, we're the good guys. Gonzalo once again shook his head and took another step backwards. The end doesn't justify the means. Diego threw his arms in the air in exasperation. In the distance, he could see José, the receptionist, with a couple of security guards pointing in their direction. He was tempted to jump back across the turnstile, pick up the lawyer and carry him to the meeting. Lola stepped forward. She knew full well that no logical argument would dissuade Gonzalo from his course of action, so she chose another approach. She held out her hand and said, Please? And for a moment, the two of them were in the Prado Museum and she was guiding him to another gallery. They were walking through the pedestrian zones of Malasagna, and she was leading him to a quiet back street. They were strolling through the Retiro, and she was taking him to the cherry orchard. Gonzalo shook his head again. Then, under his breath, he said, Fuck it. In one athletic leap, he jumped over the turnstile and grabbed hold of Lola's hand. The two of them then dashed to the nearest elevator, followed by Diego and Park. The doors had just opened, and a large group of employees were flowing out. As soon as the way was clear, they ran inside, and Lola hit the button for the 51st floor. They could hear the voices of the security guards getting closer. Before the elevator doors could fully close, a big, fat arm appeared between them. The two guards, flushed with the exertion and excitement, stepped inside and grabbed Lola by the arms. You need to come with us. Gonzalo protested. Take your hands off her. That's an unnecessary use of force. I'm a lawyer and... He couldn't finish his sentence before Diego had planted his huge, hairy hands on the faces of the guards and pushed them violently backwards out of the elevator and onto the marble floor. Then he turned to Gonzalo and said, If I need a lawyer, I know where to go. Now let's get upstairs. And with that... The doors of the elevator finally closed, and the four comrades stood in the muffled silence of the small square space. It was a moment of tranquillity, the eye of the storm, time for each of them to gather their thoughts and prepare themselves for the next challenge. The vibration of a mobile phone disturbed the peace. They all looked at each other, wondering where the noise was coming from. Lola opened her handbag, and the noise of the vibrations intensified. She took out her phone and looked at the caller ID. Mr. Red Bull. The three men couldn't help but see the name. There was nowhere else to look. They waited for her to answer it, pretending not to care. Lola quickly declined the call and put the phone back into her bag. Mr. Red Bull, said Gonzalo. 
Before Lola could respond, the doors of the elevator opened onto the 51st floor and the group were immediately met by two middle-aged secretaries who acted like a couple of schoolteachers in charge of detention. You're not allowed up here. This is most irregular. Security is on the way. We will call the police if we have to. Lola simply ignored the verbal harassment and marched down the corridor. It had been three months since Luis Brunia had led her past the panoramic views from the 51st floor, along the hallway lined with oil paintings, and to the old oak door of the office of Mario Ruiz de Velasco. Now she was back in the building in order to save her job, her career, and her reputation. She reached the boardroom, paused to take three deep breaths, then opened the door and entered. Okay, so they made it into the boardroom. What's next? Well, we'll find out in the next episode. But right now, we have some business English to discuss. And let's start off with a couple of common expressions. Here we go. He politely asked the team to take a seat while he called the reception on the 51st floor. It was a last-minute change in the agenda, said Lola, with a hint of panic in her voice. A last-minute change is a very common phrase. In business, we like to plan our agendas well in advance. However, there are a lot of events and disruptions that we cannot predict. And so there are often last-minute changes. It's a very common collocation that you will hear native English speakers use all the time. It's quite self-explanatory, and it means that plans have been changed at the latest possible moment. Now here, Lola is trying to convince the security guard to let her through, even though he has no information about her presence. By explaining to him that there have been some last-minute changes. Okay, here's a second common expression that once again is quite self-explanatory. The doors of the elevator finally closed and the four comrades stood in the muffled silence of the small square space. It was a moment of tranquility, the eye of the storm, time for each of them to gather their thoughts and prepare themselves for the next challenge. If you are in the eye of the storm, you are at the centre of a disagreement or a conflict that affects many people. You are at the focal point of the drama. As you probably know from your high school geography classes, the very centre of the storm can be relatively calm. The eye is a circular area in the middle of a hurricane, and it can be up to 65 kilometers in diameter. And it's characterized by relatively light winds and clear skies, which last for a short period before the strong winds, the rain and the thunder return. So Lola and her team have a moment of peace and tranquility in the elevator as they travel up to the 51st floor. But they know that the action and drama will begin again as soon as they reach their destination. That is why they are in the eye of the storm. And at this point, 
Lola receives a call from Mr. Red Bull. This is just a little reminder that we've not forgotten about this character. And actually, I wanted all the men in Lola's life to share this key moment with her. Okay, let's move on. And let's explain a couple of business concepts. Listen carefully. They greeted each other with warm smiles and firm handshakes. One of them cracked a joke, and they all laughed loudly. They behaved as if they owned the place, and indeed, they did. For this was the board of directors of Texpania. They were there to ratify the acquisition of J Block as soon as the final agreement had been reached. What is the role of a board of directors? Why are these old, grey-haired people hanging around the entrance of Texpania, acting like they own the place? Well, a board of directors is essentially a team of people who are elected to represent the shareholders. And every public company is legally required to install a board of directors. They are responsible for protecting the owners of the business. They protect the shareholders from the self-interest of the management. Because sometimes managers make decisions that will benefit their own pay, their own compensation, their own bonus, at the expense of the long-term interests of the company. So the board of directors oversee the management of the company and they establish policies that the management must follow when they're making key decisions about mergers, hiring and pay. Now in the case of Texpania, the directors are at the headquarters to give the final official approval to ratify the acquisition of JBlock, amongst other things. Now, it's usually a good idea for a board of directors to include both internal and external members. Internal members are involved in the daily workings of the company, and an external director is an outsider with no involvement in the running of the company, but an understanding of the issues the company faces. The New York Stock Exchange requires listed companies to have a majority of outside or independent directors on their board. Now, about six months ago, I was invited to apply to be an independent board member of a Spanish IT company just before it was listing on the Spanish Stock Exchange, so just before it was going public, in other words, selling shares to the general public. The CEO and the major shareholder of the business at the time thought that I would provide an interesting perspective as a complete outsider, but someone with experience in finance and Spanish business. In the end, they decided to go with somebody else. But it was a very interesting process for me to go through. Would you like to be a member of the board of directors of a company? Would you like to be the independent member an external member, because it's very well paid, it's very interesting, and it's a role which many senior business people, particularly as they head towards retirement, aspire to. Okay, now let's discuss a couple of legal issues. Here we go. 
Diego was the first to hop over. Then he helped both Park and Lola. But when he reached out his hand to Gonzalo, the lawyer wouldn't move. This is unlawful entry. He started to slowly back away from the turnstiles. Gonzalo uses the term unlawful entry. I've always wondered what the difference between unlawful and illegal is. So here's an explanation. For something to be considered illegal, there has to be a specific law passed by an authority. For example, according to the laws of the country, owning a handgun without a license is illegal. However, some things are unlawful. These are things that are contrary to the established law, without there being a specific law relating to them. So it's a very broad category, because there are countless acts that are unlawful. And things that are considered unlawful generally relate to being not morally correct or conventional. So relating to our story, there's no specific law that stops anybody from jumping over the electronic gates and entering a company. It is therefore not illegal. Nevertheless, entering the premises without permission contravenes convention and moral codes and does break the law or the general law about private property. Therefore, it is an unlawful act, even though it's not an illegal act. Okay, let's continue with this legal and moral theme. Listen to this sentence again. Gonzalo? hissed Diego. You're already committed. It's too late to turn back. Actually, from a legal perspective, it's not. For Christ's sake, it doesn't matter what the law says, we're the good guys. Gonzalo once again shook his head and took another step backwards. The end doesn't justify the means. Do you believe that the end justifies the means? Do you believe that you must do whatever you can in order to get the best possible result, even if it means breaking the law or hurting other people along the way? Do you believe that the end justifies the means. The simplistic question here that is often used in these types of discussions is as follows. If you could travel back in time, would you eliminate Adolf Hitler? And there is a philosophical basis to this question that has been debated for millennia. In fact, at my business school, we had a course on business ethics where we discussed this very question. Does the end justify the means? So on the one side of this philosophical debate, you have the utilitarian approach. So the moral quality of an action is completely determined by its consequences. Therefore, a good end justifies the means in all circumstances. For example, killing another person can be justified if it is for the common good. 
On the other side of the equation, you have the deontological approach, which states that there are moral rules that do not change under any circumstances. Killing another human being is always wrong. So in our story, Gonzalo starts by taking a deontological approach. He is not going to unlawfully enter the premises of Texpania. He's not going to break a moral rule, no matter what the circumstances. He's willing to ruin Lola's plan because the end doesn't justify the means. However, with the guidance of both Diego and Lola, he changes his mind. He is persuaded to take a utilitarian approach. He eventually decides to commit an unlawful act because he believes in his heart that the final consequences of this action will be beneficial for all. Does the end justify the means? Yes, if you are Lola and her team. And it's interesting here to consider the difference between Lola's moral philosophy and the moral philosophy of her father, Salvador Badiola. As we know, Salvador was doing business in relatively corrupt countries and he was not willing to play by the local rules in order to succeed. He had very clear values. He had a very strict moral code that he wasn't going to break. To him, the end did not justify the means. He took a deontological approach. Lola, on the other hand, appears to be more pragmatic. In this case, she is breaking the rules. And she's doing it in order to create a better outcome for everyone. She believes that the end does justify the means. She's taking a utilitarian approach. Where do you stand on this argument? Do you believe that the end justifies the means? Are you with Salvador or are you with Lola? And you're not allowed to answer, it depends. Okay, before we end, we're going to move from moral philosophy to popular psychology. We're going to end with some excellent business advice something my mentor always insisted we do before we enter any sales meeting. Have a listen to this sentence again. It had been three months since Luis Brunia had led her past the panoramic views from the 51st floor, along the hallway lined with oil paintings, and to the old oak door of the office of Mario Ruiz de Velasco. Now she was back in the building in order to save her job, her career and her reputation. She reached the boardroom, paused to take three deep breaths, then opened the door and entered. Take three deep breaths before you enter any room, particularly if you have been in a rush. 
it will completely change the way you feel about yourself and the situation. And it will completely change the impression that the people who are already in the room have of you when you enter. And that first impression, when you open the door and you walk across the threshold into the meeting room, is absolutely critical. Because everybody there is going to make an instant judgment whether you are confident and competent or whether you are insecure and ill-prepared, depending on your body language. Three deep breaths before you enter any room or make any presentation transforms you in those critical first few seconds from zero to hero. And on that note, we come to the end of today's session. We hope that you have enjoyed this discussion. If you would like to improve your business English in a more formal situation, you can join Marina and me for live and interactive classes. Just click on the link that is in this podcast description and we will see you in class. And we hope that you will return for the next chapter of the adventures of Lola Badiola. Until then, keep bringing English into your life And remember, the end justifies the means. Or does it? <laughs>